Oh man, it is good to see everybody today. Um, we are, I'm, I'm excited to be here. I hope you are. And even if you're not, that's okay because I am. So we're, we're good to go there. Uh, thanks to everybody that bought sweets. Uh, you can buy them on your way out. You can take as many as you can carry. If you've got a baggy shirt, you can always do the basket method with your shirt. That's fine. Just fill it up and go with it. Uh, even if you don't eat them, that's fine. Um, but all of that money is going to send our kids to camp. We're actually, we have boys and their dads going to camp this summer at Camp McCall and girls and the daughters going to camp at Camp La Vida this summer. Um, and these are church camps that are put on by the South Carolina Baptist Convention. And man, they've been doing good for a long, long time. I mean, when I was a kid, Camp McCall was going on and they have a lake there called Lake Chili Water. It's appropriately named year-round. It's the coldest water you'll ever put your foot in. Uh, but throughout both of these weeks for our, our girls and their moms and our boys and their dads, uh, man, they're going to be ripping, running, playing, jumping, doing all that stuff and learning about Jesus every single day. And so it's a great thing to put our money towards. We're going to have a yard sale next Saturday at the Rastatter's house. Jason's back there. He would love to tell you more about that. And he would also love it if you have stuff to put in the back of his truck. He's told me without using words that he wants to fill the back of his truck up numerous times. Um, and without body language. I just sense it. That's what he wants. Uh, but he wants to fill it up, and people are going to come by their house and buy all of that next week. If you don't want to buy baked goods or give stuff, and you just want to give money, hey, guess what? You can do that too. There's a link that went out in the email this past week. It'll go out again. And you just click that link. You put in a number, and it's miraculous. It's like it's like not even real money. You don't even feel it because you don't touch it or anything. You just hit enter, and bam kids go to camp. It's about 175 bucks for kids and dads and daughters and moms to go to camp, and so we're trying to make that as easy as possible uh, for everybody that's going. We never want money to stop people from doing stuff like that. So we're a family, and family helps family, and so that's what we want to do. Um, another quick announcement. I'm going to try to do these now before we get to the end of service because I always forget. Uh, June the 27th, we're going to have another opportunity for baptism. Uh, if you have not been baptized after choosing to follow Jesus, uh, we want to help you celebrate that, and we want to celebrate with you. I mean, we take it very seriously that people declare that they have chosen to give their lives to Jesus, submitted to him as their father, Jesus as their savior, the Holy Spirit as their, Spirit as their indweller, their guide, and all that stuff, and we want to shout with you. Um, even if you don't shout that day, we will, um, at least a few of us. And so uh, we want to be able to do that with you. So if you have yet to do that or you want to talk about that, we would love to talk more with you about what that looks like and why we do it and why Scripture talks about celebrating so well. Uh, I think that's all I have except the message today. Uh, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump in, because I have a task ahead. Uh, we're going to just hold, hold on to your biscuits. We're going to try to do like 15 chapters in 1 Samuel today. today. Um, we're going to be, yeah, okay, so I'm going to pray, and we're going to go. God, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that you have been so kind and diligent and loving and sovereign to place people in our lives that speak truth to us. We're grateful, God, that you don't choose to let us figure it out on our own, but you choose to use men and women uh, who you've influenced in other ways, God, to influence us. God, as we think about what that looks like today, God, I pray that we would, we would be honest with our lives, honest with ourselves, honest with you um, about the people you've placed in our lives and how we need to respond. God, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for Jesus, and through his name uh, and by his grace, God, we say thank you. We love you. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be bouncing around a bit, but at least linearly today, which is a hard word to say for me. Um, and so last week, what we talked about was Moses-Jethro, that kind of relationship. And the question that we did our best to answer is, in spite of Moses, all the things that he had done, all the things that he had accomplished, all that he was, why did he listen to Jethro? Like, why? Jethro was a major influence. He came to him after Moses had done a ton of stuff, and it would have been easy for Moses to say, hey, hey, no, 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 you're not Moses, I am. But he didn't. He listened, and as a result of that, 
uh, he prolonged his life. He basically told him, he's like, Moses, what you're doing is not good. You keep going like this, you're going to die. And so he gave him some solid wisdom. But what we looked at was not really so much the wisdom, because we said that didn't have universal uh, application to everyone. But if you're in leadership, it's great. Take that, run with it. But the big question is, why did Moses listen to Jethro? And we talked about there was history there, there was humility there, um, and then there was also knowing where Jethro was coming from and being able to, to listen and take that. Uh, today, unfortunately, we're going to tackle the opposite scenario. Uh, we're going to look at an influencer who was ordained, gifted, sent, called by God, equipped by God, and we're going to look at people that chose to ignore his influence. And, like, to be honest, two verses in this today are my least favorite in the whole Old Testament. I hate them because I read them, and I'm like, man, how dumb are you? But then I realize I've done it too. I've done it too. So from a place of transparency, as much as I hate these verses and these places that we're going to look at today, I hate them because I've seen that very sin in my life. And if we're honest, we've prob- we collectively, we've probably all seen it. But here's, here's what we're just going to say out on the outset. Man, we want to get rid of it. We don't want this to be here. We don't want it to linger. We don't want it to be an issue. We don't want it to be caused not to listen to God speaking to us through his people. And so I'm just going to go ahead and tell you the ending. Uh, the result is we repent. We confess and we apologize and we ask God not to let us be in that place again. So I'm, um, we're going to start in uh, 1 Samuel. Believe it or not, we're going to be talking about a guy named Samuel to kind of catch us up just a little bit in the age of Israel. Um, Israel... Out the, on the outset, outset, they did not have a king. They always had, like in the beginnings, we see patriarchs. We see fathers of Israel. We see Moses. We see Abraham. We see Isaac, J- Isaac, Jacob. And that's the reason when they encountered people, they're like, what God do you serve? I'm like, well, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, that God. And then from there, uh, after the, the patriarchs kind of passed away, then we had judges. Because the people of Israel continued to do, just like we do, kind of ebb and flow with obedience, disobedience, repentance, back to obedience, just this cycle. And so God placed in their midst judges. And what judges were, uh, they were the predecessors of prophets. They were the predecessors of a king, which we'll talk about today. And their job was to just say, hey, Israel, this is what God is saying. This is what we need to do. And there's no wiggle room. This is what we do by nature of who we are and who God is and who he's calling us to be. And so today what we're going to see is this guy named Samuel, he will be officially the last judge of Israel appointed by God. He would kind of bridge the gap between judge to prophet, and in between judge and prophet there would be kings that would be placed in power. And so in the very beginning, we're going to look for chapter 1, and we're just going to read verses 9 through 18 to give us a little bit of an idea about who Samuel is, how he was called. It says, after they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, this was talking about the parents that would be the parents of Samuel. It says, Hannah rose. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. And she, Hannah, was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. Um, And she continued praying before the Lord, and Eli observed her mouth. Eli was the priest, Hannah was the mother. And Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman, because she was going at it. I mean, she was praying hard. And so Eli looked at her and said, she's, she's a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, she says, no, my Lord, lowercase l, I am a woman troubled in spirit. 
I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. This woman, Hannah, here's her affliction. She didn't have a child, and she wanted one. And the pattern of the day was to go up to the temple, they would worship, they would offer sacrifices, and on this woman's heart, this particular day, Hannah, she just went there and she just poured out to God. She said, God, I I just want a son. I just want a son, and if you give me a son, I'll give him right back to you. I'll give him to you for as long as he's alive. You give to me, I'll give back. And so Eli, the priest, saw her, and he was like, this woman, she's, she's off a rocker. She's a little bit crazy. She's over there talking to herself. Uh, because during this day, like, God was quiet, to be honest. We're going to see this in just a second. Like, things were crazy due to the disobedience of Israel, due to them being stiff-necked and not listening to the judges. Like, God was quiet. He was like, look, you're not going to talk to me, and, and I'm, you're not going to hear from me either. Crazy times. And so this woman, she goes, and she says all of these things. And then in verse 24, we pick up a little bit down the way in the story, and it says, And when she had weaned him, so she had the son, uh, she took him up with her back a year later, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered, three years later, pardon me, then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli, and she said, O my Lord, lowercase l, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who is standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord, given him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. And so from the outset, we have to see that this Samuel was not a normal child. Like this was other than, this was crazy, this was amazing. He was being anointed from the very beginning. He was a request made to God so that he could be given to God, serve God, pursue God, be a messenger of God from the very beginning. And God gave him as such. And so we're going to skip forward just a little bit because we can't read everything today. Uh, But we're going to go to chapter 3 and just we're going to pick up in verses 9, but before we get there, this is what was happening. So Samuel was a boy. He was serving the priest Eli. Um, Before this, what we had seen with Eli is that normally the process was priests would appoint their sons to be the next priests uh, in this place. But the problem is Eli's sons were no good. Uh, they They were bad. As a matter of fact, they were taking food that was being offered as offerings and sacrifices, and they were like, nah, we don't care about that. We just want to eat. And so it's like somebody took a whole bucket of chicken to the altar, and I mean, it's the best example I can think of, and you know, because that was precious, and instead of letting that be the Lord's, they're like, no, it's fried chicken time. And there were other things. They were accepting bribes on behalf of blessings. They were doing a lot of stuff, and his sons were just no good. And so we have Samuel in the midst of Eli serving him. He does not, he has not yet heard from the Lord, um, and he's just serving diligently. His mother said, look, this is who you're going to be. He's like, okay, and so he's just serving. And he goes to bed one night, and he hears a voice calling Samuel, Samuel, Samuel. And he gets up because he thinks it's Eli, the priest. And he's like, Hinnani, or here I am. I'm right here to do whatever you want me to do. And so he goes to the priest, and he's like, hey, I'm, I'm right here. What you need? And the priest is like, I, I didn't call you. That's, that's not me. Go back to bed. So he goes back to bed, and it happens again. Samuel, Samuel. He's like, Hinnani, I'm right here. So he goes back to the priest. He's like, uh, what, what do you need? Mr. Eli, I'm, I'm right here. He's like, that wasn't me. But then at some point, Eli's will started turning. He's like, oh, I know what's happening. Go back to bed and wait. And this time when you get called, don't come to me because it's God calling you. Uh, Answer the Lord and see what he has to say. And so we pick up 
in verse 9, he's telling that. It says, therefore, Samuel said, uh, therefore Eli said to Samuel, go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling as the other time, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which two ears of everyone who hears uh, it will tingle. On that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from the beginning to the end, and I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever because of the iniquity of his sons, for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God, and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by a sacrifice or offering forever. So Samuel lay until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called to Samuel and said, Samuel, my son, and he said, here am I. Uh, and Eli said, what was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you more also if you hide anything from me and all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all of Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And so this kid, Samuel, from here forward, uh, he became this judge prophet for Israel. He was called by God, sent by God, equipped by God to speak to the people of Israel based on what God desired. Uh, a lot of neat things happened. Uh, there were several wars. Uh, Samuel st uh, stood in the gap. He did what he was supposed to do. Things were good. Things were good um, for a while. But then, uh, after the ark was returned, after all of these happened, uh, Israel began to, man, they began to slip back into that pattern that we see of Israel, that, that pattern of, of sin, of idolatry, of all of these things. Um, and this is what we find happening. Uh, chapter 8, we're not going to read this, but at the beginning of chapter 8, unfortunately, the same thing happened to Samuel that happened to Eli. Samuel should have passed down the roles and the responsibility to his sons, but unfortunately, his sons too, no good. Don't know if it was contagious, don't know what it was. But either way, his sons, they, they weren't capable either. And so the elders of Israel looked, and they were like, your sons are no good. Um, they're not going to take your place, so we have a solution. We have a solution. Uh, in chapter 8, it's not going to be up here, but chapter 8, verse 4, it says, Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. Now, I don't know if you caught that. They said, your sons can't do it, um, you're getting old, and so we're looking around at all the nations that, to be honest, are oppressing us, that are trying to kill us, that are trying to wipe us off the map, and they all have kings, and we want one too. We want a king. But from the beginning, God had been telling the people of Israel, you don't need that, uh, because I'm going to guide you. I'm going to be the voice. I'm going to appoint men to take care of you, to shepherd you, to judge you, to point you towards me. I appointed the patriarchs. I appointed the judges. I've appointed this guy, Samuel. I'll take care of you. But they looked around. They looked around their borders, and they said, you're old. You can't do this much longer. He did. They said, you can't do this much longer, so we want a king. We want a king. And so Samuel was cut. He was hurt. It says, but this thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, uh, starting in verse 7, 
He said, Obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways uh, of a king who shall reign over them. So they came, they said, we want a king, and Samuel is just hurt, because he knows that's not what they need. He knows that what they need is to turn back to God. Like, he knows all they need to do is to lean in to the consistent, uh, beautiful, loving voice of God that has never steered them wrong, but they look around, they say, we want what our neighbors have. We want what they have. And so Samuel goes to God, and and God just tells him, Samuel, this isn't against you, it's against me. They're doing it again. They've chosen to go after other gods, other things. Let them have it, but warn them first. Warn them first, almost like give them a chance to turn before they make this choice. And so he begins to warn them in verse 10. So Samuel told them all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. He will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground, to reap his harvest, and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and he will give it to his officers and his servant. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to work. He will take a tenth of your flocks, and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourself. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. So he said, look, if you're asking for a king, okay, but this is what God says. You're not going to like it. It's not going to be good. It's not going to be what you think. So they had a chance. Like in that moment, they had a chance of just stopping and saying, okay, okay, Samuel, You've never steered us wrong. You've led us to victory. You brought the ark back. Uh, you, you led us to repentance, turning back to God. We've, we've trusted you this entire time, so we're going to go with what you say right now. That was their chance. Here's their response. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said no. Exclamation point. That means they shouted it, by the way. That's what I learned in elementary school. They said, no, but there shall be a king over us, and we may, also, or we may also be like those nations around us, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, obey their voice, make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, go, every man, to his city. Go back where you came from. Here's the line that kills me. No, there shall be a king over us that we also may be like all the nations. And here's the thing. Like the question that we're asking is why did they not listen to Samuel? Why did they not listen to this guy who had never steered them wrong, never led them anywhere but directly to God? Why did they not listen to Samuel? Here's why. And this is our battle too. They forgot that they weren't supposed to be like all the nations around them. They forgot that they weren't supposed to blend in. They forgot that they were supposed to be distinct other than set apart from the very beginning. They forgot. They forgot the same words that Paul would tell the Romans 
years later, hundreds and hundreds of years later, saying, look, I beseech you, I beg of you, I urge you in view of God's mercies, skipping down to 12.2, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may know the will of God, what's acceptable to him, and this will be your spiritual act of worship. They forgot that they were not supposed to be like the nations around them. They forgot that they were meant to be, called out to be, different. Here's the issue. Like when God calls us from our obscurity as hostile people towards the gospel and his kingdom, when he calls us out from that and moves us to repentance, he says, by the way, I am removing you from the patterns and the course of this world. I'm leaving you there, but you're no longer to be of the world. You are to be different. You are to be distinct. In biblical terms and technological and, 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 and theological terms, it would be sanctified. You are to be set apart. It is an act performed by the Spirit of God that is placed in us as a result, result of by grace through faith. You are being set apart. Very often the reason that we choose not to listen to the direction of God is because we see the things around us and we're like, I want that more than I want to be distinct. I want to be like the nations around me. They looked around at the nations around them that were killing them, that were slaughtering their babies, and they said, they all have kings. They're doing okay. We want one of those too. Man, people of God. <laughs> like, hear that. Like, people of God. We can't also be people of the world. We can't be both. Jesus, even talking to a very Jewish audience, he says, look, you, you can't serve God and mammon or God and stuff. You can't serve me and the world and the world's pleasures. You can't do that. You'll either love one and hate the other, but you just cannot do it. From the very beginning, understand that God was making a people unto himself, not unto the world. And they forgot. I think, man, I know this. Like so often, the things that God asks us to do within our marriages, within our workplace, uh, within our families, within our communities, within the world around us. The things that he asks us to do will look so contrary to what the world desires for us to do. They will look completely opposite. And I know that very often it's easier to go along with the masses than it is to be obedient. But it doesn't change the fact that God called us to be different. God called us to be other than. And just like all the other do's and the, all the other do-nots in Scripture, there's a reason for that. Because God wants to set us apart because there are all of these other people who are not, and they need to hear and have a chance to respond to the same gospel that we had a chance to hear and respond to. And they will not do that if we look just like them. They will not do that if we pattern our love after the way that the world says that we should love. They will not do that if we pattern our marriages after the world says that this is a successful marriage. They will not see the love of Jesus if we parent our kids the way the rest of the world says that we should parent our kids. They will not see it. They will not see it if we love our neighbor the way the world says that we should love our neighbor, only when it's convenient. They will only see the love of Jesus if we understand that we were called to be different and we live differently. If we are distinct, if we are taking part in the sanctification that God started, he said, I'm going to set you apart and you get to participate in it. And if we just say, yes, God, I want to be different, I want to be sanctified, I want to be other than, then, then, as we love, as we play, as we work, as we live, people will see Jesus. Because we don't look like the rest of the world. And that's more than okay. It's a has to be. It has to be us. But when we want to be like the world around us, 
man, we shut those influential voices that are telling us to be different in the name of Jesus off. We shut them down. Because we, we don't want to do that. Because that sounds too hard. That makes me look odd. That makes me look different. Man, I look at my kids in elementary school. It's the perfect example. Like, both of my kids have, have declared their love for Jesus, and thank you, Lord, that they have at such an early age. But I see the things that they are already dealing with as a second grader and as a fourth grader, and I'm like, man, how in the world are they going to live differently in the midst of this? And this isn't a public versus private school thing. No, this is just the world kind of a thing. Like, oh, my goodness. And then you take that and you add a little maturation to it, you put a little responsibility in it and, and a little bit of adulting, and then we go to the workplace and we see that it's just gotten harder to be different to be other than, to live set apart. But it doesn't change the fact that we must. That we must. Because God called us out of this world, into his kingdom. But he's not in the business of relocation, he's in the business of redemption, so he left us here to live other than, but to still be here. Man, I hate that line. I hate that line, that we may also be like all the other nations that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. I hate that last line, too, because that last line almost seems like they believe that if they just, man, behave like the rest of the world and take on the values of the rest of the world, that they're not going to have to do anything. The world's just going to take care of them. That's a lie from the pit. But anyway, we're going to keep going. So that's one. One of the reasons that we choose not to listen to the influences uh, that God has placed in our lives is Man, we've forgotten that we're supposed to be distinct, supposed to be separate, supposed to be other than. So they said, we want a king. We want a king. And so what happens? Well, there's this guy. His name's Saul. And it literally says that he looks good. He looks the part. He's head and shoulders above all people. Uh, literally, like he's taller than the rest. He's a good-looking guy, and he looks like a king. When people sit down and they whiteboard what a king should look like, that's Saul. And so God's like, hey, that's your boy. Go appoint him. And so he does. Like, he sees him, he meets him in some crazy fashion, a God-ordained kind of a deal, and he meets him, and uh, he's like, hey, come and eat with me. I'm going to set you at the head table in the midst of a ton of people, and then I'm going to pour some oil over your head, and I'm going to anoint you, and guess what? You're going to be king. And he's like, well, okay, I'll be king. And so he's king. And for a little while, things look okay. Things look all right. They go out, they have a victory, they have a couple of those, things are looking pretty good, but soon, soon, things turn. Remember the warnings that God gave to his people. He said, look, if you want a king, understand this is what a king's going to do. And they're like, we don't care. Give us a king. He's like, okay, here's your king. Here's your king. And so we skip ahead just a little bit to chapter 13. Um, chapter 13, we're going to go 8 through 15. So he goes out, he fights the Philistines, and, uh, which kind of are their perennial enemy. It's also one of the people that had a king, and they said, we want to pattern ourselves after them, even though they're killing our kids, they're killing our wives, they're killing everything, but they have a king, so we want one too. And in verse 8, right before this, uh, Samuel had given, given Saul a message. He was like, look, uh, after you win this battle, I need you to wait for me. Wait for me a specified amount of time for me to come and make a sacrifice to say thank you, God. So in verse 8, it says, he waited seven days, talking about Saul, this new king, the time appointed by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, bring the burnt offerings here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. As soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, same day, by the way, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him and greet him. And Samuel said, what have you done? And Samuel said, when I saw that the people were scattering from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines had mustered at Mishmash, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal. 
and I've not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. I forced myself. I did it. You weren't here. And Samuel said to Saul, you've done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you, for the Lord would have established your kingdom of is- over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. And the Lord sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord commanded him to be the prince over the people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. And Samuel arose and went up from Gilgal. The rest of the people went up after Saul to meet the army. They went up from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin. And so this was the first time. First time. Samuel had given him a message. He was like, look, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to honor God. Wait the specified amount of time. But it said that Saul got impatient, and Samuel wasn't there. Maybe at daybreak, he's like, oh, it's, it's day seven. People are leaving. They need to see this happen, so I'm going to do it. I'm going to force myself to do what I've been told to wait to do. And so he does it. And Samuel finds him. He's like, you, you've done bad. You should not have done that. Um, so let's skip forward to chapter 15. So chapter 15. This time, reaching way back, um, there's another battle. This was a while later. Some time had passed. Uh, Saul had already heard this message like, hey, this power is going to be removed from you. God's seeking a man after his own heart. By the way, that would be David later. And so uh, chapter 15, this is what was told to Saul by Samuel. He said, now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Sounds terrible. I get it. There's a reason behind it. I don't claim to understand everything in the Old Testament, but this is what he was told to do based on what the Amalekites did to Israel way back in the day when they were fleeing. That They just picked them off one by one. They wiped them out, and God made a promise then. He's like, because of what you've done, I'm going to take care of you down the road, okay, and not really in a good way. And so he told Saul, he's like, look, you're going to battle, wipe it all out get rid of all of it. They've done terrible things to my people, to me. Take care of, just get rid of them. So that's what he heard. And so then we skip down just a little bit, verse 9. It says, but Saul and the people spared Agag. If my name was Agag, that would be terrible. He, but he spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the oxen and the fattened calves and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. So basically it said, uh, they kept the best of stuff and the king But everything that was no good, yeah, they destroyed that. But go back up to what he was told to do. What he was told to do, he said, now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man, woman, child, infant, ox, camel, donkey. All because of what they've done in the past and what I said would happen. And so he goes, they have victory, and he's like, "Uh, yeah, destroy that because it's no good. Doesn't have any value. Destroy that. But all that good stuff, let's just keep. Let's just keep. And so we skip down a little bit further in verse 12, and it says, Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, and it was told Samuel, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be to you the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, What is this bleeding of sheep in my ears and the lowing of oxen that I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice uh, to the Lord your God, and the rest we have devoted to destruction. Then Samuel said to Saul, with an exclamation point, stop. Stop. So he's like, hey, uh, what's going on? He's like, hey, we've done exactly what you told us to do. Exactly what you told us to do. Destroy it all. We've done that. And Samuel's like, well, why do I hear oxen sheep? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, those, you know, some of my people... Uh, they kept those because they want to sacrifice it to your God. They want to do that. We've done good. And he keeps on going, and Samuel's just like, stop. Stop. And we don't say it in our house, but he's like, shut up. 
Stop your mouth from moving. Because he's just lying. He says, stop. I will tell you uh, what the Lord said to me this night. And he said to him, we'll speak. Samuel said, though you are little in your own eyes, you are not the head of the tribes of Israel. The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and the Lord sent you on mission and said, Go, devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission in which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took the spoil, sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God. In Gilgal. But just previous to that, he said, aren't you the one in charge? Aren't you the one that got appointed over all of these people? And you're sitting here and you're just telling me lies? He said, no, 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 I'll tell you what happened. You disobeyed. You disobeyed. You didn't listen. You didn't follow the commandment of the Lord. You did what was right in your own sight. And here's his pronunciation to a degree. Man, Ah, verse 22. He says, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as a sin of divination and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. He said, You're justifying right now your absolute, absolute disobedience because you said the people wanted to sacrifice it. He said, understand, obedience every time, far better than sacrifice. Obedience every single time is far better than sacrifice. Here's the second thing that we see. The reason that Saul, in this sense, not just the people of Israel, but Saul chose not to listen to God. He thought his way was better. He thought his way was better. We're smart people. We're learned, um, successful. Uh, we, we have very little want for anything. Like I think that's probably the American curse on the, on the, the church of God right now uh, is that we have everything that we need. There's nothing that we lack. And so it forces us to just think, uh, God's optional. And because of that, I think at every turn, it's easy for us to say, I've got this figured out. I'm good. I've got it. I know exactly what needs to happen next. Problem is, if that's the attitude we take, very often we're going to get it wrong. We're just going to get it wrong. God says, I'm telling you to do things, not, not just for any you know, odd, random reason. I have a purpose for you. I have a plan for you. I have a desire for you. I have a desire for my people and a kingdom. I desire for them to be distinct. I desire for them to be set apart. I desire for them to love in a specific way, and there's a reason for that. Why? The hope of all mankind hinges on it. And so when we say, look, God, I know that you're telling me to do that. You're wise. You're omnipotent. You're omniscient. You're all of those omnis. That's great. But you know what? I think I know better than you because I'm living here and you're not. Man. Because we think we know better. Saul chose his way instead of God's way, even though he had heard it clearly. Like, clearly from the mouth of Samuel, do it this way. But instead, he chose his way. 
it's so easy for our voice, our heart, our desires to drown out the voice of God if we let it. Like our voice can be the loudest in the room. We have to choose. We have to choose to let God's voice be louder. We have to choose for his leading to trump my desires very often. We have to make that choice. Like I said, God starts sanctification, right? The setting apart of his people, but we play a part in that. And part of that is saying, hey, God, I'm going to listen to you, period. Period. Because I know there's a reason for all of your do's and all of your do nots. They may not make sense in the moment, but you've said to do it. And you know what, God, I'm, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to do it. And I know that's hard. I get it. Because sometimes there are things that God is going to ask us to do that in the moment, they make zero sense. Because for the people of Israel right here, it would have made sense for them to go and conquer a people and keep all the good things. That would have made great sense. Except God said don't. Except God said don't. Part of this being set apart deal is understanding that what the world tells us to value and what the world tells us to go after sometimes is going to be contrary to what God wants for us. The world, for example, the God's going to tell, I mean, the world's going to tell us that, hey, if it feels good, there's a reason. Chase that. There's a problem. There's a lot of things that feel good that I don't need to pursue. I had a guy ask me in the gym this, re- this week just asking me about, like, you know, why does God say to do this and say not to do this? And, and I'm like, man, there's a reason behind all of those do's and all of those do nots. Why does he talk to us about the prescription of marriage being unique? Because God wants us to have a marriage that makes us more like Jesus. God wants us to have a marriage that sanctifies both parties. And that marriage can't do that if we're going out and being unfaithful and doing all of those things. It's not going to sanctify us. It's going to make us more like the world. Why does God tell us to love the Lord your God with everything that you have from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet and everything in between and like it, love your neighbors yourself? He tells us to do that because, man, if we don't love him, we're not going to obey him. If we don't love our neighbors, we're never going to love them like Jesus and reveal to them the utter beauty of the gospel. He tells us to do these things. Why does he tell us not to murder? Because we can't be loving to our neighbors if we're killing them. Why does he tell us not to hate? We can't be loving if we're hating them. Why does he tell us all those things? There's a specific reason for all the do's and all of the do nots. Man, and if we follow any voice other than God's, we're, we're going to end up in a place that we don't want to be. We don't need to be, that he hasn't wanted us to be. John 14, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he just, he just tells them. He's like, hey, and, and this is like the mom and dad kind of a thing, the clean your room kind of a deal, and I've shared it frequently, like mom walking down the hall, opening the door, and she's like, why is your room still dirty? I'm like, ah, I'm playing Nintendo. I got two buttons of fury right now. That's how old I am, two buttons. And she'd basically eventually come back and say, if you love me, you'll clean your room. And she was right. She asked me to, and she asked me to, and if I love her, I'll do it. Jesus tells his disciples the same thing. He's like, man, if you really love me, you're going to keep my word. You're going to keep my word. You're going to do as I ask. We may think that we have it figured out, just like Saul. He was like, yeah, 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 but hey, but we took those good things, and we sacrificed them to the Lord. So check, check. That's when Samuel said, no, 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 Saul. Obedience is better than all of that. Just doing what God asks you is better than all of that. He said, has the, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as he does in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen better than the fat of rams. 
He's like, all these things that you think you know better, God's already got it figured out. And that's the reason he's asked you to do what he's asked you to do. Man, but so often my way sounds so much better. Sounds like it makes way better sense. It's just not the case. I mean, I wish I could give you more concrete examples, but at the end of the day, part of like growing into Jesus and growing into following after God's heart, sometimes at the end of the day, faith looks like this. God, you ask me to, so I will. That's it. The simplicity of obedience. And we do it out of a love for God, out of a reverence of God, out of a, out of a healthy fear for God. But, but some days I think, man, and this is the longer that I follow Jesus, I find such great peace and comfort that I don't have to understand the why and the what for. As long as I got the who in place. Are there days that I mess it up? Absolutely. Are there days that I get it right? Thank the Lord, yes. But he says, you don't have to understand the why and the why not. Just understand what I've asked and just go do it. And I think that should be a prayer for a lot of us. Just, hey God, let me just, let me just trust you at your word. Let me just trust you at your word. And if you ask me to do it, let me just say yes, even before you ask. Mm. Sounds a lot like a kid right? You know, kids are silly and simple. They just do what they're asked. Jesus reminded us that that's the way that we need to come. He said, sometimes you just need to come like a child. Now, granted, not all of our kids are like that. <laughs> Mine are only like that every third day. But, but man, on those good days, when you tell your kids to pick up their socks and they just do it, some days I think that's just how we've got to be with God. He just said, hey, just pick up your socks. Okay, I'll do that. Love your neighbor. Okay, I'll do that. Stay away from sin. Okay, I'll do that. The simple beauty of understanding that obedience is better than all those things. All those things. God, we love you. We thank you for your word. God, we thank you for your leading. God, forgive us for all the times when you've been trying to speak loud. Loud and clear to us. And instead, God, we we forget that we were called to be different. And we just want to be like the world around us. God, forgive us for all the times when you're trying to speak loud and clear to me, God, and, and I choose to, to figure it out on my own, to do it my way. God, I pray that we would get to a point to we remember both of these things, that God, you, you do know best, and God, you desire us to be different. And both of those are for a reason, a big reason. God, I pray for you to grow us into a people um, who want to be yours, who want to look like yours, who want to smell like yours, who want to act like yours, love like yours. And God, just a people that we don't have to understand why all the time. But we can just do. Thank you, God, for loving us. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.